Hello and welcome to this spotlight on the peoples, places, and events that shape my life both as an Okie and a writer. Once again, I'm your host, Neil Halford. Last time around, I was happy to share with you the story behind my parents' madcap and very nearly illegal holiday wedding in 1955. It was a marvelous way to remember them as I observed my first Thanksgiving without my mom, and I'm glad that it gave some of you insight into the special people who brought me into this world. In the same spirit, I'd like to summon up a few visitations of Christmas past, once again featuring memories taken from an interview with my mother in December of 1998, sprinkled with a few peppermint-scented recollections from both my wife and myself. Although it sounds cliché to say it, my mother grew up in a simpler time. All it took to summon up some Christmas spirit was a clear December night and a little imagination. I remember Uncle Lehman holding me up to the window one Christmas Eve, and it was shortly before he went into service in Second World War, and he helped me up and he said, look, look, and the stars were shining brightly that night. And, and he said, that's Santa's trail. I said, Santa will be here pretty soon. And I remember him that, that many, many years ago. Before there were Christmas lights or blow mold Santas or an endless parade of TV specials, most of my mother's childhood holiday celebrations revolved around events at school. Right before Christmas, the schools would, at night, would have uh, Santa come, and the schools always had huge trees with strings of popcorn and homemade chains of, from uh, construction paper, red and green chains, and they fixed sacks of chocolate candy and ribbon candy and apples and oranges and things of that sort. And then each child would have some gift that was something special that the child wanted. Christmas was a much more elaborate holiday by the time I rolled around. Kicking off every year after Thanksgiving weekend, my father would haul down our ceiling ladder, disappear into the attic, and then after several moments of loud rummaging around in the dark, he'd begin to heave down dozens of jingling boxes filled with every kind of holiday decoration imaginable. For the next few hours, my family members would sit in the living room, hopped up on eggnog while listening to sacred Christmas music performed by the likes of Perry Como, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, Conway Twitty, and Alvin and the Chipmunks. Working with Dad, we'd untangle lights, identify which strings had bad bulbs, which ones had bad sockets, and which ones probably wouldn't burn the house down once we plugged all of them in. With the exterior lights hung, the wreath placed on the door, the stockings hooked over the fireplace, and baby Jesus retrieved from whatever box he'd been misplaced in, we turned to the assembly of the most important decoration of all. Now, while it's possible today to get a Christmas tree in nearly any size, shape, or style that you care for, during my childhood, families only had three options. They could get a real tree, which was beautiful and traditional, but along with being a potential fire hazard, they were also a gigantic hassle to deal with. A second option was to buy an artificial tree which looked natural, could be stored until the next year, and was far less messy than an actual tree. What my parents chose, however, was the third option, a tree that was safe, relatively mess-free, and entirely an artifact of the space age. 
I am speaking of the sometimes reviled but gloriously kitschy silver aluminum Christmas tree produced between 1958 and 1974. Hung with metallic blue Christmas balls, ours was the pride of our living room window display, rendered all the more sparkly by a color wheel spotlight that bathed it in rotating beams of red, green, and blue light. It was absolutely unmissable by passing cars, and to the best of my knowledge, the only one like it on our street. In a lot of ways, I think this garish and distinctly over-the-top holiday decoration was my parents' way of celebrating how far they'd both come in life. Both had lived through the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. They hadn't had the kinds of Christmases that most of us now take for granted. Money was hard to come by, and even the simplest of gifts were a challenge to obtain. My mother remembered one gift in particular that she and her parents worked to get for her little brother, Jim. So he wanted a little white ambulance, just probably two or three inches long and maybe an inch or two high, and a cute little thing. And, and so Mother and Don and I picked up pecans. We had several pecan trees on the farm back, you know, way back in the field. And so we picked up pecans and and sold our pecans, and, and Jimmy was so happy with his little white ambulance. Of course, we had toys too, but, but that was real special that we were able to get Jimmy the little thing he wanted. Throughout her long life, my mother continued to do whatever she could to give her loved ones the things they wanted at Christmas. There was one year, however, when my mother's gift to my grandfather ended up with a higher price tag than she originally had bargained for. Sometime in the mid-1970s, my family was engaged in our traditional orgy of last-minute shopping at the magical winter wonderland that was a Sears department store on Christmas Eve. The store was packed, the shelves in gleeful disarray, and the air smelled of popcorn, cotton candy, hot chocolate, peppermint, and the just-purchased used car whiff of artificial pine trees. It's hard now to convey to kids what a big deal that Sears once was during the holidays before shopping malls and Toys R Us displaced them. It wasn't just a place to shop for Christmas, but almost was Christmas itself. In Tulsa, almost the entire garden department would be whisked away into storage to be displaced by rows and rows of shelves packed with toys. A colossal six-foot version of Disney's Winnie the Pooh would tower over a display of other stuffed animals kidnapped from the hundred-acre wood. G.I. Joe, Barbie, toy trains, model kits, puzzles, bicycles, squirt guns, army men, baseball gloves, the first handheld electronic games. All of the good stuff was here. And if you wanted to get your picture with a fat man himself, every kid knew his second home was on the lower level at Sears. On the night in question, my parents split into two shopping parties, with my father heading upstairs to the jewelry counter while Mom and I wandered towards the tools department to find something appropriate for Dad. Craftsman tools tend to be a safe bet for my handyman-oriented father, so we were browsing around for something small and toolsy when my mother spotted a crowbar. I'm not exactly certain in retrospect why my mother decided that my grandfather needed one, but once she'd seen it, she was determined that it was exactly the thing to gift him for Christmas. After snatching it up, we headed for the checkout counter, and the clerk duly rang up our purchase and shoved it into a plastic bag so that it would be easier to carry while we continued to shop. Since my father had not yet returned from upstairs, we still had a few minutes to find something for my dad, and returned once again to the checkout line, which by now had grown quite long. 
As we waited, we enjoyed looking at all the Christmas tree displays and listening to other shoppers going about their preparations, and we chatted happily about all the wonderful things we were going to do the next day, blissfully unaware, until the bag with a 10,000-pound crowbar decided to tear open and fall on my mom's foot. She passed out almost instantly. Around us, pandemonium immediately erupted. The clerk abandoned their counter and knelt over Mom, waving something in her face to revive her. Another one hopped onto the intercom and began to loudly page my father. It didn't take him long to get down to us and to help lever Mom up enough to see that she was going to be okay, but the store manager insisted on calling an ambulance for her. We would spend the wee hours of that Christmas morning in the emergency room discovering, thankfully, that Mom's foot was not broken. With the price of the ambulance ride factored in, however, Granddad's iron crowbar would end up being one of the most expensive gifts that my parents ever gave anyone. While the Black Friday sales and relentless ads would have us believe that this holiday is about these radical acts of gifting or about creating elaborate decorations, my wife Jana recalls that one of her favorite Christmases was actually one of her simplest. One of my fondest memories is actually of being a young adult. I was about halfway through college and I was heading home for the winter break and I had just had a wonderful trip with my art club, but unfortunately in the latter half of that trip, I started to get sick. And so by the time my brother Joe was driving me home, I was not feeling well and I don't think he was doing particularly great either. It turned out that my whole family was down with a bad flu that winter. So here I had been thinking like a college student going home, oh, my mom will take care of me, except no, we were all sick. So anyway, we were okay. It was just the flu. But a few days before Christmas, we all were well enough we could kind of crawl out of bed and greet each other. And we just started making what preparations we could for Christmas. And I remember my mother, who usually made Christmas tree cookies that had icing on them and all that were really great. But anyway, she made one kind of Christmas cookie. I don't think it was the trees. I think it was um, pecan sandies, but we were glad to have cookies. And I remember my brother Steve and I went to a little Christmas tree lot that was right next to the nursing facility where my mother was an administrator. And the guy was really at the, at the tree lot was literally packing up to end business for the season. There weren't that many trees left but my brother Steve and I found a presentable one that was about four or five feet tall and we got it for five dollars which even back in the day was cheap for a tree so we brought it home and put it up I don't even remember a whole lot of decorations going on it but we had a tree maybe we just did lights even though that was a very simple Christmas, it was kind of our um, Whoville Christmas where Christmas came just the same and I actually have very warm and fond memories of that very simple Christmas as a, as a young woman. There was nothing my parents valued more than spending Christmas time with our loved ones. Once the presents were unwrapped and lunch had been served, my family would pile into our station wagon and make a grand progress around the state of Oklahoma to visit various relatives. The purpose of this tour was not just to spread seasonal cheer, but also to help celebrate a somewhat freakishly high number of birthdays centered around December the 25th. Whenever I met my wife, this was something that we discovered we had in common. Jana and I both had siblings born during Christmas. 
my brother Gene was born on Christmas Day, while Jana's brother David was delivered on the day after. Thankfully for my mom, there were no major impediments that prevented Gene from coming whenever he darn well pleased, even though it was a holiday. For my mother-in-law Jackie, however, getting help for David's arrival proved to be more difficult to arrange. My mother began to go into labor on Christmas Eve pretty early, who I might mention was registered nurse and had helped deliver many babies, plus had four already, called her obstetrician, who just flatly informed her he did not deliver babies at Christmas. He didn't say to call the obstetrician on call or anything, he just said, call me after Christmas. And this being her fifth child, she was going to need some help getting labor going more, so she didn't really know what to do. So of all things, she took her kids bowling. Now to back up a little bit, I should mention, number one, we were not a bowling family. This was not something that we did. We did other activities, but we did not bowl. There had been an ad in the local paper with a coupon for incredibly cheap, if not free, there was, it was just incredibly cheap to bowl, like a, some kind of family coupon for bowling. So coupon in hand, mom took the four of us down to this bowling alley, which was the Bolero Bowl in Lemon Grove, California. But because of the incredible coupon in the local paper, which back then everyone took and read, the whole town, it turned out. I mean, it, there was this incredible line to the vanishing point of people waiting to go into the bowling alley, and it wasn't like they had unlimited lanes. The manager of the bowling alley took one look at mom and said, lady, you look like you ought to be in the hospital. This man put us at the front of the line. This man knew more than my mom's doctor. Really, she should have just had the bowling alley man deliver the baby. We, we got cuts in line, got bowling out of the way, and went home. And on December 26th, she had a beautiful baby boy, my beloved brother David. So that was a very, very happy Christmas time. And that's how I became a big sister. And David and I are super close to this day. I hope you've enjoyed the sugar plum visions of Christmas's past and that they reminded you of happy memories of your own. Whether you observe or not, whether you are alone or with family, Jaina and I and the rest of my family would like to wish you the very happiest of holidays and a magical new year. Until next time, when we'll see you from somewhere along the trails.